Welcome to the Scale Ups Podcast, where each week you get to hear Sean Steele, professional CEO, growth mentor, and advisory board chair, unpack the strategies that successful founders have used to achieve scale in their businesses. Stay tuned as he interviews the entrepreneurs who've made it, learns from industry experts, and follows a group of founders still striving to scale. G'day everyone and welcome to the Scale Ups Podcast where we help first-time founders learn the secrets of scaling so they can fulfill the potential of their business, make big decisions with greater confidence and maximize the value and impact they can create in the world. I am your host Sean Steele and my guest today is uh, Warren Berger, author, speaker, uh, speaker on innovation and also questionologist. Uh, Warren, I'm wondering whether uh, in your high school days, the careers, careers counselor sat down and said, all right, Warren, you can be a lawyer or a doctor or a questionologist. Was that the conversation? No, it didn't quite go like that. <laughs> um, actually, what's interesting is um, after high school, I went to uh, college as a journalist. I went to journalism school. And you would think that journalism school would have a focus on questioning Mm. And they didn't. They didn't. Enough, right. Like they don't really teach you how to ask questions uh, yeah. in journalism school, which is really strange because you then get out and, and do your job and every day you're asking questions all day long. So um, that was kind of the first tip off to me that this is an underserved <laughs> market or underserved subject. That it's that. not getting the kind of attention it, it, um, it warrants. And then you know, as a, I, I did work as a journalist for, for many years and uh, always sort of self-taught in terms of working on my questions and figuring out how to craft a good question and do how to do follow-up questions and that kind of thing. And, um, and then I think what really brought me in this new direction, which is talking about questioning as uh, being really important in the business world, um, that sort of kicked in about seven or eight years ago. Uh, I was doing a lot of writing about founders, about innovators, about business leaders, entrepreneurs. And, um, and I noticed that, you know, questioning was really important in what they did. <laughs> and so that became kind of a, for me, a new way of thinking about questioning. Like it's not just for journalists, yeah. you know, it's for lots of creative people and business people. It's almost and, um, uh, and so that became kind of my the, the focus of my first book on questioning a, a more beautiful question. And mm. I, it really a lot of that book is about the connection between questioning and innovation and uh, and leadership. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. And I really want to dig into um, into both of those concepts today. One of the things that just jumped out at me whilst you were talking was it was almost uh, the fact that you know journalism courses were being taught without um, really understanding the science of questioning is almost like um, MBAs that still get done today, and there's not a single subject on sales. And I think, wow, yeah. these people are going to be running companies, but actually, no one's got a clue about selling, which is a pretty reasonable part of their engine uh, yeah, on the exactly. revenue side. Right, right. And so you're the author Absolutely. of five books now, right? The the book of beautiful questions that you did in 2018, obviously a more beautiful question, which you mentioned. You've been you've co-authored many more books. You've written a lot of articles for a lot of you know magazines and newspapers, New York Times and Wired and Fast Company. Um, you're the founding editor of One, uh, which is a quarterly magazine on on advertising and design. And in short, this you know this specialization you've got around questioning and innovation and creativity. What excites me about this is 
I felt like it was maybe something that, you know, it felt like it was something that only I seemed to uh, to learn when I was listening to Tony Robbins, which was, you know, him saying, I think I was probably, you know, early 20s and hearing him say successful people ask better questions and as a result, they get better answers. And all the lights went on for me when I heard that or read that for the first time in my own development, both as a leader, as I sort of grew through the ranks and, you know, became sort of more senior and eventually CEO in my mid 30s. Um, but also in my personal development, I realized particularly in my professional life, that as I became, uh, as the roles became more senior and I had more responsibility for shaping and encouraging and harnessing and directing more people's time, that the quality of my questions would dictate not only the quality of answers, but actually all the work that we're doing in the organization, or at least 20 to 30% of it that's not sort of day-to-day BAU, is a result of the questions that have been asked and the answers that have come from that. And then all of a sudden it turns into work. Um, And when you think about that as a leader, I think it's incredibly empowering and frightening all at the same time you're like right. well am i what's the quality of my questions that could be impacting you know 150 or yeah for me it was 150 plus people who are spending 20 or 30 percent of their time probably executing on activities and strategies that are a result of my poorly formed questions um you know that that's that's a really significant load as a leader and i think sometimes we don't really give that much credence i so i almost imagine people going to your keynotes uh, and conferences where they where they have these aha moments when I was reading through your, um, your materials and your book, um, where they have these moments where they're like, oh my God, I've spent the last 20 or 30 years asking the wrong questions. Uh, and yeah, you can obviously change it on a dime, but at the same time, it could be, you know, leave you feeling pretty guilty about what you've done. So, you know, today- yeah, that's, a pretty common, uh, that's a pretty common phenomenon of, you know, business people kind of focused on- um, on the wrong uh, question because it, it, it's not necessarily that it was always the wrong question. It may have been the right question at one time, mm. but because of change uh, in their in the business and change in the marketplace, um, it may now not be the right question. And mm. so that's one of the interesting things about questioning is your questions always have to evolve and they always yeah. have to change. So it's not like you can find the one great question, question. Yeah. and just that will be your question forever. Yeah. It doesn't really work that way. The, the, the questions that get you started won't be the same ones that will get you to the next level and the level after that. Yeah. Actually, it's really interesting that you say that. Um, in the last couple of weeks, we interviewed Sidney Finkelstein, uh, the author of Superbosses, uh, professor from, from Dartmouth. And one of the comments was, one of the biggest mistakes people make as a leader is overvaluing their own experience because of course the experience that you got to you to here was based on the problems that you faced in the past but that doesn't mean that it's actually relevant for the problems that you're facing now or in the future so this is a really nice parallel well you know today i i'm really keen to uh, unpack uh, some of your thinking around both the kind of questioning and the, and the relationship between that and innovation and i want to make sure that we uh, practical in the way that we approach it. The key focus is to have people leave, of course, with some practical steps they can take to improve the quality of their questions. If they're asking as the founder of a business, maybe of their team or of their business or of themselves personally, and some thoughts around, um, given we have a lot of people in our audience with that sort of, you know, maybe two mil to 20 mil uh, sort of revenue size business, how they think about building innovation. Uh, you know, innovation sometimes when you're in a small business sounds like some big lofty word that, you know, IBM and, and, and Apple and, and big companies do, but it's not really for us uh, when we're small, but how they go about building more innovative thinking um, into the work of their teams and the, I guess the psychology and the practices of their teams. Yeah. Um, so maybe um, 
you know, Warren, you, you sort of alluded to your background and, and some of the elements that were formed. How were you undertaking this? You know, when you were doing your thinking, how, how were you getting your, I guess, the, the sourcing of information? How were you sort of approaching your research to get, to get these ideas and see them tested out in, in real life? Yeah, well, what I was mainly doing is, uh, and <clears throat> because I was a journalist, I was used to interviewing people. And, uh, and so what I basically decided I would do is try to figure out who were the hundred or best questioners I could find mm. and, um, and then interview them and talk about how they ask questions and, and what their approach is. And, uh, and from that, I then developed some frameworks and some tools um, I think maybe the the most simple and yet maybe the most um, useful framework that I developed in the course of this was uh, uh, involved the use of of why, what if, and how questions. And the idea that you could ask those three types of questions in a circular manner uh, or in a sequence and if you did that, it could be a really powerful um, innovation tool. And Can you give where, us an example of that? Where one? that framework came from was simply from stories, <laughs> uh, from talking about, you know, one innovation story after another, whether it was the creation of the windshield wiper in cars or, or whether it was the startup of Netflix or Airbnb. Mm. Um, I was always going back to the origins of, of these, of these companies. And, um, and what I was finding is that the origin was often a why question. You know, the, mm-hmm. the thing that kicked off the entrepreneurial venture was often a why question so that people would be looking at a situation or a problem or something that was lacking in an industry or in the world and basically asking why, why does this situation exist? Or why is it we have to, when we want to do this basic task that everyone has to do every day, why do we have to go through this elaborate process? Or why, why is it so difficult? Hmm. So the why questions would always be at the genesis of it, but the why questions don't really get you to the solution or anything, really. Hmm. The why questions are really just, what Stirs they're doing the is helping you understand. They're mm. just helping you understand the, the nature of the problem, uh, the existence of the problem. And so what I like to say is, you know, why, it, just asking why uh, will make you a philosopher, but it won't make you an innovator. Mm. So you have to do something with that why question. You know, you, you, so you've discovered, okay, why hasn't someone come up with a better way to do X? Mm-hmm. That's not going to make you um, a successful innovator. That is just the first step. And, and then you have to sort of own that question or take ownership of that question and go to work on it and probably bring other people in on it to work on that question with you. And then you have to evolve to the next level of questioning, which is usually something like what if, um, because at some point you have to get from understanding the problem to starting to figure out what you're going to do about it. And that's when you start to speculate and you start to, you know, formulate your, your, your thesis for your, for your company or your product. And that's kind of, you know, what if we could 
combine this with that. What if we could find a better way to do this thing that they were doing? We're going to do a little differently. What if we mm. use the internet in an interesting new way that wasn't done before? So that so I found that these these people were cycling from why to what if, formulating their idea, and then ultimately, they're working on how questions, which are very practical. You know, how are we going to get this thing to market? How are we going to scale? How are we going to uh, budget? How are we going to hire the people we need to hire? So there there are all these practical how questions that come into it as the innovation is coming into reality, as, mm. as it's being made real. Uh, so the, it's an interesting cycle. And then the cycle just repeats itself over and over again, because once the, once the company has launched and the product has launched, uh, usually there'll be something that will change right away. <laughs> you know, somebody, mm. a, a competitor will, will suddenly um, rise up that wasn't there before, or a, um, a flaw will be discovered in the in the product or the or the company something you hadn't anticipated, um, and so now you're at you're going right through the innovation cycle again. You know, uh, why are we having this problem? Okay, what if we tried to do this? Okay, how are we going to make that happen? And so I see it as an endless cycle of why, what if, hows, and it's that's the endless cycle of innovation that uh, that you know, companies are having to go through as they not only get out there, but then continue to improve, continue to expand, um, react to change, adapt, you know, do all that stuff. And so, you know, what my whole task or my whole challenge is helping people just to, to think in those terms, to think about how questions can be used in this way and, um, and how it can be this, this almost propulsive force uh, if you're asking the right questions at the right time, it can push you forward and help or help you move forward, even if you don't really know. I mean, even in the midst of uncertainty, if you're asking the right questions, you can be moving in a forward direction and starting to get toward those answers, um, you know, and keep and, and, and that's one of the big, big uh, benefits of, of questioning. It's actually the opposite of what people tend to think. People tend to think questioning slows you down. And that if you're asking questions, you're not doing things or you're not moving forward. But it's it's the exact opposite is true. If you're asking the right questions, you can proceed forward even in the face of uncertainty. Even mm. though you might know ex you might not know exactly what to do tomorrow, but you are asking the right questions, and that'll help push you forward step by step. Mm. And there's this tremendous. Uh, I love the framework, um, by the way, that makes a lot of sense uh, to me. And you can, when you try that on as a leader, you can think about how you've actually taken uh, forward your business from it. And it seems very natural to understand the problem, to imagine what could be done to solve it, and then to figure out what the action plan is to go from there. But I imagine... Yeah, and I just uh, want to say it's, that, that's, uh, that's based on, even though I didn't realize it at the time I was first coming up with it, it's actually based on a very almost ancient principles of how human beings solve problems. All right. uh, so if you look at all, you know, some of the frameworks that are hundreds of years old uh, about creativity and problem solving, <clears throat> they're often about people having to first understand the problem and then they use their imagination to imagine something different and then they get to work on building. So they, they understand, they imagine, and they build. And what I did was just 
line up three different types of questions with that. So understanding is why, imagining is what if, and building is how. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just a very, it's, it has to do with human nature and the way we as human beings, um, you know, uh, go about solving problems. I almost feel like um, one of the, that, you know, you've got almost a sort of inter, potential interlude sort of loop in your cycle where you could be going from how back to what if, which is almost that sort of yeah. risk planning, downside protection, risk mitigation, or what if this goes wrong? What if that happens? What's the one thing that could, you know, sort of turn us upside down and that, um, you know, because I by nature, and I, I know that I always work really well in partnership with others who recognize that I'm a builder of things. And therefore I like uh, in the in the way that you just um, explained your framework, quickly identify the problem, imagine what the vision is and build a plan to get there. And what I don't do naturally, uh, and other people can do much better than me, is often see, but where's the data? What evidence are we using? Have we tested it? How can we do it more cheaply? What's the downside risk? How do we protect ourselves? How do we ring fence that? Like all of that sort of, it's kind of, right. a, I guess, a mix. It's like a, almost a validation of the how using what if questions um, yeah. is a, yeah. almost like well, a little you mini know what's loop. interesting. Uh, Sean, is that what I find is that people who are uh, doers, you know, people who who really get stuff done and like your audience, you know, entrepreneurs and builders and and leaders, um, they are naturally inclined to uh, go to how as quickly Mm. as they can. Mm. And because that's all about getting stuff done, you know, um, you're trying to, you see a problem and you immediately are trying to figure, okay, how do we, how do we deal with this problem? You know, mm. what, what's the quickest way to solve it? And so one of the things I, one of the points I try to emphasize is that there's real value in uh, almost forcing yourself to ask those other types of questions too. You know, the why, why, why are we having this problem? Or mm. um, why are we doing, you know, so often um, business leaders are trying to solve a problem. They're trying to figure out how do we, um, ramp up our sales? How do we, or how do we take this process that we were doing in seven steps and take it down to five steps? How do Mm. we do that? Okay. And that's a good question to be asking, except sometimes you need to be asking, why are we doing that process at all? You know, Mm -hmm. because maybe that process made sense two years ago and doesn't make sense now. So the one thing I say to, you know, um, business leaders who are real problem solvers by nature, um, be careful about always rushing to how and, and mm. trying to do quick solutions on everything uh, uh, without using those kind of other questions which seem more philosophical. They don't seem as practical. They don't seem as action-oriented, but they're really important because they mm. will sometimes point out to you something that you need to know before you go ahead and try to do the how, before you mm. try to solve a problem or fix something, you kind of need to be grounded in that, that thinking about, you know, why, why are we doing it this way? And what if we tried something different? Mm. That kind of thing. And I think that, I think that links really nicely to the, uh, you know, I guess I see in a lot of organizations, there's almost a, the reward system and the recognition system is often built around how. Uh, yep. You know, so people want to be seen also if you think, you know, if, okay, not the leader, but the people in the organization, they want to be seen by the leader or their leaders as people who get stuff done. So they often right. operate from how, because they're like, I oh, know if I get this done, like it's going to look good, we're going to achieve more and so on. But to your point, if you're not stepping back and thinking about why is this happening in the first place and why are we even doing this? And is there a reason? Is there a better way? Is that, is it still even relevant? 
then what you end up doing is you end up adding, it's almost like you're dragging a chain, like, you know, you're dragging, you're adding anchors on the back of this chain. So you're actually slowing the entire business down because you can't just keep taking on more and more and more new things and new strategies without actually taking a step back and realizing, well, maybe we're gonna have to drop some things. Maybe some of those things aren't relevant. Maybe the thing we're planning on doing isn't relevant either. So, uh, but I agree with you, it's very, if you're a natural builder and a natural, you know, you, you, you shift to how very quickly, it's very easy to fall into the trap of feeling like you are wasting time if you're going back to how and everyone's like, oh, come on, let's just let's just build the plan. Like we, we know how to do this. It's like, yeah, but we actually need to take that big step back to avoid that sunk cost of all the baggage that we might be bringing on board with us. Yeah, and it's especially true, you know, I think um, for, for your listeners who are at a certain stage in their uh, the development of their companies, uh, it's important to realize that um, you move more and more people tend to move more and more towards practical questions or not questioning at all as their companies mature. And um, because when they, when an entrepreneur is starting out, that's when they're in full questioning mode. You know, I, I mm. often say like, it's, there's an interesting parallel between business development and the development of children. <laughs> so, so when an entrepreneur is starting up, it's like, it's like a, a very young child, so it's full of wonder. It's full of questions. It, it the 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 company wants to do things differently. It's rewriting the rules. Um, it's making it up as it goes. Uh, you know, it's it's in this incredible questioning, creative um, frame, you know, a mind mind frame. And then as things get established, you start to rely more on answers than questions. You know, you sort of say, "We've figured mm-hmm. this out already. We we've developed a." a five-step system for doing this. We've learned from the marketplace. We've, we've got all these answers. We've even put it into a nice little book, maybe a rule book, you know? And, mm-hmm. and so, um, you know, and then, then as you get to big companies that are a hundred years old, then it's really codified. I mean, everything is in a, is in a manual, you know, everything is like mm-hmm. written down. So mm-hmm. what happens is, you know, you get very, very answers based and it's very similar to children as they mature, same thing happens. They, they start asking less questions. They get more full of their own answers. And, um, and so, you know, there's an interesting thing that happens. And, and the real sweet spot for innovation is to have the, a nice balance between hmm. the answers, the, the knowledge you've already developed, the expertise you have, and this wide open learning and thinking and curiosity um, that's going to keep bringing new stuff in. It's going to keep bringing new ideas in. And mm. that's, that's what you've got to do. So, so it's almost like as you develop as a leader, you have to be really careful about losing your questioning um, uh, habit or your, your, your willingness to ask questions and be open-minded and be curious. And mm. you have to be careful about what they, sometimes people call it the trap of expertise, right? As you develop expertise, that's a wonderful thing, except if it becomes a trap and if it becomes, yeah. you know, the, if, it, if it leads you to think, you know, I kind of have figured this business out, I've, I've figured this company out, and now I just have to repeat over and over. Mm. Yeah, and that's actually the reason I started this podcast in the first place, Warren, is, you know, I deal with um, all sorts of business owners uh, on a regular basis. And many of the questions um, or the challenges that they might face are similar. However, I wouldn't ever fall into the trap of thinking that I'm the guy who's got all the answers on everything that could be further from the truth. And so the whole point of this podcast was to bring experts in all the areas, but bring different perspectives on similar problems to help 
stimulate creativity and ideas rather than saying, hey, I'm like the guru here, just come and ask me and I've got it all figured out, which is never, right. the, never the case. What, what would be some um, examples of poorly formed you know, questions versus maybe better formed questions? Like, have you got any examples where you think, okay, this is, sometimes I hear leaders asking a question that looks like this, but with a small tweak, it could have been a much more powerful question that could have looked like this. Have you got any yeah, examples well, that you can think one of? One of my favorite um, question types is, um, is the how might we question. And that's, a, that's an example of how you can take almost any question and with a little tweak, you can, uh, you can sort of open it up a little bit and make it a little more um, inviting and um, uh, more, more likely to induce uh, creativity. And uh, so, so the idea behind how might we is that simply that, and th- this actually started with um, the Procter & Gamble company years ago, but now it's been picked up by Google and lots of the Silicon Valley companies practiced, you know, how might we. Um, it, it's just the idea that... Um, when you're trying to um, uh, figure out how to uh, solve a problem or what you're going to do next or what direction you're going to move in, um, the, the, if you word the question as sort of like, what should we do? Or, you know, mm. what are we going to do? Or, you know, mm. that ends up putting a certain pressure on, on you to, it sort of creates the idea that, gosh, there's, there's only one, one yeah. possible answer and we better find it or we're going to be in real trouble. And the reality is that there probably isn't one answer in a lot of cases. What you need to do is look at a lot of possibilities and you need to really open up your thinking so you can see the full range of possibilities and then maybe pick the best one, figure out the best one. So what how might we does, it, it just taking a problem you have and saying, you know, how might we find a way to do X, Y, or Z? Um, mm. Doing that uh, simply is, it has to do with the wording. It's the use of that word might, for mm. example. Um, mm-hmm. It suggests that there's a lot of ways you can come at this, uh, this challenge or this problem. Uh, and if you share that with people within your team or your organization, it tends to um, open up the, uh, the imagination a little bit. It tends to get ideas flowing a little better. Uh, and it tends to lead to more creative thinking about that problem or about that mm. challenge. So, uh, so that's a really simple tool that you can use if you're not using it already. It's just to begin when you're working on challenges or problems, begin a lot of your questions with the phrase, how might we? Yeah. Uh, this can also be done on a personal level. If you're working on one, a problem that's just your own challenge, you're not working on it with other people. It's your own problem, you can just say, how might I? And Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things I I recommend to people is even when they're doing like New Year's resolutions, you know, don't, don't do it as a resolution, a a statement that I will, I will lose uh, 10 pounds, Mm -hmm. or I will drink more water this year. Uh, I must drink more water. Instead, (laughs) uh, do it as a how might I question, how might I uh, drink more water this year? And what mm. that will do is um, it will do what questions do uh, better than statements, which is um, just kind of open up uh, mm. your thinking and Leads your problems, to, uh, your natural problem solving. Uh, there's well, something imagine... very powerful about questions as opposed to statements. And um, this is why I tell companies, you know, a lot of them people, companies think I'm crazy when I say this, but I, I really believe it, that they should just get rid of their mission statements uh, and, and use a mission question instead. And the reason is that um, a question is more inviting. 
Uh, it's more kind of uh, inspirational and it kind of triggers your thinking a little bit. Uh, a question is like a puzzle, right? Mm. So your mind almost instinctively and automatically goes to work on it and tries to figure it out. A statement is more like a thing that gets put on people, you know, and they, mm. they either like it or they don't. A lot of times they ignore it. But a question, if you if you say, hey, our mission question as a company is how might we, you know, um, you know, make this a better world through robotics or something. You know, mm. if you if you put that question out there for people, they will they will see it as a mission or a challenge and they will respond to it. So that's yeah. one of the things I think you can use questions in all kinds of powerful ways, not only for yourself, you can use them for your organization as a, as a rallying, um, a rallying cry. And it's, it's going to be more powerful and more engaging than a statement. Yeah. I love that. I think, um, uh, you know, when I was trying that on while you were talking about it and I was thinking, you know, the risk of saying what should we, or what could we do? And somebody coming up with an answer is to the extent that that answer doesn't work out, which quite often, you know, we, we attempt things and they don't work out. It almost leads to a, a feeling of failure, doesn't it? It's like, well, we right. did some thinking, we made a decision, that's the path, and now it's failed, and everyone's feeling bad about it, as opposed to a more open, creative uh, sort of juice of flowing, well, we've still got the same outcome, but how might we get there? I can imagine it inspires a lot of freedom, almost a sort of freedom to fail. That doesn't mean we can continue to you know fail constantly, but um, at some point, if you've created that freedom, people are going to feel less attached. You know, I, I always find that if you've made a decision and then you, everyone's like, okay, we're, we're going to throw everything at this. No one wants, and, and someone hasn't really had a chance actually to sort of input and they might have a much better idea. They don't want to say anything because they're really scared yeah. of kind of, like they can see all this momentum going towards the thing that everyone's decided and you actually really shut down um, that oh, yeah. feedback cycle. Yeah, that's one of the things. I mean, I, I it's just when you, when you put uh, sort of uh, things out there to your people as, as if it's already been decided, and as if everything has been is set in stone, um, you really are uh, shutting down their creativity. And and you know, to me, again, going back to mission statements. I mean, if you think about it, the whole idea of a mission statement is, is almost crazy because if you're if you're on a mission, you're supposed to be on it. You know, you're not supposed to have already done it. You know, if you've already mm. done it, then you might as well close your business and go home, right? So. <laughs> So, so the idea that a mission statement is done almost in the past tense, like as a, as a statement, um, to me, doesn't make sense. What you want to do is you want to suggest to people, we're on a journey here and, you know, we, we may be doing very well. We may be, we may be off to a great start, but, you know, it's a journey and everybody needs to help us figure out how to get further mm -hmm. down the road on this journey. And that's what the mission question is. You know, you have to articulate what is it? What is it we're trying to do? Where are we trying to go? And then you put that into a question form. And, uh, and now people have something to uh, kind of um, pursue, something to aspire to. And what I notice about that, Warren, is that um, if I try that on, I imagine going to a website as a customer and I'm seeing somebody's mission statement, you know, we're on a mission to do X versus, you know, how, you know, how can we together solve X kind of problem or make this kind of contribution I all of a sudden, it seems like it's going to be a far more open frame to invite collaboration um, from yep. and with customers and stakeholders and partners because it's like, no, no, we're actually trying to solve this together. We need your input. And I feel like in the next you know, 10, 20 years, we, we're already seeing the emergence of DAOs and all sorts of new formats of um, 
ways of people collecting together to solve problems together in a more unique uh, in a more unique way and i think that's only going to proliferate uh, even further than it is today and that's a really interesting way because all of those are they're in there trying to solve a question together uh, as opposed yeah, well, to somebody's I mean, already got the answer and now we're just collaboration doing it. tool and one i just um i did a project with pepsi uh about a year or two ago and it was they were trying to figure out that how to get their sales people to um better understand what the customers really need, you know, because they felt like their salespeople were going in and just trying to sell. They were just trying to sell the customers on whatever the latest thing that Pepsi had that they were trying to push. And, and so what Pepsi wanted to do is open up their thinking in terms of, you know, it's not about me selling um, to these customers. It's about how do we build this this collaboration where we, it feels more like a partnership and that's going to end up, you know, having, creating a better relationship over time. And, uh, and so, you know, I, one of the things I did there was talk about how if you want to do that kind of collaboration and you want to build that kind of relationship, one of the best ways to do it is through questioning, right? So you can, you can go to your customer or your client and instead of, you know, um, doing a lot of persuasion, or a lot of trying to giving them advice or, or that kind of thing, you are kind of putting things out there as, you know, how might we, um, you, you know, there, there's a challenge in the marketplace right now that, that you guys are having. Uh, how might we working together, you know, address that challenge? And mm. when you do that, you, you, you change the dynamic between the salesperson and the customer. And all of a sudden they're more like partners and collaborators uh, tr together trying to solve a problem. And I think questioning can be key in how you uh, develop that relationship. It, with questioning, you can show that you, you're you working together, you're trying to understand each other, you're hearing each other. Um, and it's just a much better way of communicating with, with uh, customers than trying to sell them on something or trying to convince them of something. Mm. Yep, that makes complete sense to me. Warren, I'm <clears throat> when I was reading your, and I'm sure you'll talk about um, ways people can uh, can sort of follow your work or, or, or get access to to resources. I had been looking at your beautiful question index, uh, which has got 217 questions in it, and there's some questions that I thought were really interesting in there. I was putting on my um, founder slash CEO hat and thinking, you know, some of the questions you asked was, what critical information do I have and do I not have? Uh, which you know. To my earlier point, it's very quick when you jump to how. I thought these were really good questions for people who naturally jump to how. So if you're listening to this today and you're someone who jumps straight to the solution, straight to the action plan and maybe doesn't take a step back, here's some questions that I heard that you had written down that I thought might be of use. What critical information do I have and do I not have? Am I thinking like a soldier or a scout? What's the counterintuitive option? Uh, what's the implication of this decision 10 minutes, 10 months or 10 years from now? And one that really made me laugh, um, but I think is actually really valuable, uh, is what would happen if I got kicked out and the board brought in a new CEO? What would they do? And particularly right. in those circumstances where you're a bit scared, you know, it's a pretty tough decision perhaps, you know, maybe you've got to let some people go, you've got to right size the business, you know, things like that. You know that actually if somebody else brought somebody else in, they'd just make the call um, or they'd, you know, yeah, be that was sort of paid question, to have the courage. That particular question came from uh, Intel, the Intel Corporation. And what had happened was Intel was uh, at, a, at a key kind of inflection point 
in the company's career where they had to decide if they were going to shift away from the old way they were doing things in terms of how they were uh, developing chips or whatever it was. But there was an important uh, decision they had to make about whether to stick with the the old tried and true proven way of doing this or or sh- or shift into some a new way a new a new approach and the the founders asked themselves that question like if we left the company and a new leader came in tomorrow a very smart person um, what do we think that leader would do about this decision which way would they go would they would they go in the new direction or would they go in the hmm. old direction and they realized absolutely a new leader would go in the new direction. There was no question about it. And what it made clear to them was that they were holding on to the, they were giving too much emphasis to the old way because that was their way. That was their, that was the thing they were invested in for so long. And so they had a real connection to it. You know, they had like almost an emotional connection Mm. to that approach to doing business. But once they were able to step back and look at it, you know, unemotionally, and look at it from an outsider point of view, they could see which way really made more sense. And that's one of the great things in general that questioning can do, particularly as you're making decisions, is you can use questioning to try to shift your perspective so that you're not seeing things the way you usually see them. You can almost force yourself to say, okay, what if, you know, an outsider we're looking at this or, you know, what if um, my competitor were looking at this? What would what would he say? Or, or mm. what if a five year old child were looking at this? Whatever, you know, you can you can try all these scenarios out. And what that will do is it won't necessarily give you the answer, but it will give you different perspectives. It will give you different points of view. And that's what you're always trying to use questioning to help you mm. do with uh, decisions. You're trying to get as much information and as many points of view as you can so that when you do have to choose one, you've got a lot more to work with and you you don't have as many blind spots. Yeah. And I think that's such a big uh, driver at the moment. You think about the drive towards diversity and inclusiveness um, and the whole benefit of that. Uh, Obviously, there's lots of benefits, but one of the key benefits is it should improve decision making because you're going to bring in different perspectives that actually in the absence of those perspectives to your point people will hang on what to what they've done in the past the experience they've had in the past and all of the we can't not you know end up inside the box is the way i always sort of try to think about it. it's like well when you're inside the box you can't see outside the box you don't know whether it's right. square or rectangle or a circle or whatever it's only people who are outside the box who can look at it with fresh eyes and go have you noticed that that thing about, you know, this is a trap door on that side and this side's a bit spiky and, you know, uh, you often can't see those things. So I really like this, this practice. So how do you, how do you think about this as a practice? Cause it's not often, it's not just, you know, a founder sitting around doing some strategic thinking about the future of the business. How do you, if you've got a business of say, you know, 10 to 30 people, how do you build this kind of thinking into the organization? What are the sort of practical things that you do to try to build this culture? Um, of questioning and creativity. Yeah, I think um, this this is the big question. <laughs> you know, it's it's something that when I talk to companies, it's it's the issue that we're we're trying to work on and we're we're, we're trying mm. to think about. And uh, I've I've worked with a number of companies on it. You know, like Starbucks and other companies, and and um, you know, it's it's about a couple of things. It, 
the, the first thing you have to do is you have to, if you want to have more innovative thinking and you want to have more questioning and you want to have more open-mindedness in your organization, the, maybe the first thing you have to do is model that behavior yourself as the leader and make a very strong statement that you believe in this because people need to be given permission to question, to think differently, to um, be curious, to wonder about things and then wonder aloud and share that, that wonder and that question with other people instead of being afraid and holding on to it. And a lot of people will wonder, gee, I wonder about this, something we're doing here that you know, maybe it doesn't quite make sense to me. And I'm, I'm wondering if we, if we turned it upside down, wouldn't that be interesting? But they won't ever share that because they're afraid. Mm. You know, they figure, well, mm. if I, it's, that's a crazy possibility and people might laugh at me or, or worse, they might think I'm being, you know, insubordinate or something, who knows? Mm. So what happens is a lot of people have that, that kind of curiosity. They, they have questions that they're interesting questions that are, floating around in their brain based on what they're seeing in the marketplace or in their in their job you know they're on the front lines lots of times of your company you know the people working for you so they're seeing a lot of stuff and they're seeing how things work you know they're seeing how the machinery works they're seeing mm. where it gets bogged down but they may be they may have questions about that but not be willing to share them so the first thing you really have to do is uh, is you know Get the message out there as best you can that, mm. um, you know, this is a culture of inquiry. This is a, this is a, we believe in questioning. We've seen that it's directly tied to innovation and uh, we think it's the way we're going to grow and it's the way we're going to adapt. And so you have to sort of invite people to ask more questions. You do it through giving talks to your company. You do it through putting something on the wall that says, you know, ask more questions. Um you know, whatever it is, uh, to whatever you need to do to get that message out there, you, you, you've got to do. And, and, that's, and then if you can incentivize it anyway, that's great. You know, I mean, people may have, a, a, the, you know, people get rewarded for answers, but they don't often get rewarded for questions. For questions. And yeah. it's kind of an unconventional idea. But, you know, I, I think that teachers in school should re reward students for great questions. They, they only reward them for the answers on the test. Mm. Um, and I think uh, leaders of businesses should reward people who ask questions that are powerful. And, and a powerful question is any question that causes you to think about things a little differently. If the mm. question suddenly, if it makes you say, gee, you know, I hadn't thought of that. That's an interesting way of looking at this problem we're having, or it's an interesting way of looking at the opportunity that lies ahead of us. Just by asking a question about it in an interesting way, someone may change the thinking. And you have to reward that, because even though that may not lead to um, tangible uh, gains right now, the way an answer might, someone comes up with a brilliant answer, that can lead to tangible gains right now. Someone asks a beautiful, great question, it may not lead to tangible gains, but it, it puts you on the path toward those gains. It, it changes your thinking. It, it, it starts to shift the company in a different direction. So I think those kinds of questions 
should be rewarded in some way. They should be incentivized. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing you can do to develop a culture of inquiry. And then you can do things like, um, you know, uh, bring more questions into your meetings, um, have exercises where people are, instead of brainstorming in ideas, they're brainstorming in questions. A lot of the stuff is on my website and my book. So, mm-hmm. you know, th- there's stuff out there. You, th- th- this stuff is all easy to learn, easy to pick up. Mm-hmm. But it's the idea that you have to incorporate questioning into your company in a way that it becomes like second nature to people to ask more questions. And as people ask, you know, as, as it becomes second nature, everyone will get better at asking questions. You know, the more questions yeah. you ask, the better you get at it. The, the more ways you start to uh, look at problems a little differently and question them. And it just starts to become a natural thing. And pretty soon, you know, uh, y- your organization is, is sort of filled with beautiful questioners. Now, the downside yeah. of that is, you know, you, you've got to figure out sometimes what to do with those questions. And they, that, that's not that's always not easy. Part, you know, right? yeah. as people start asking more questions, you know, you may have to develop systems to uh, make sure people uh, feel as if their questions are being heard. Hmm. So you may have to develop, you may have to put someone there in charge of hearing the questions and filtering them and making sure they, the question goes to the right place. You know, you may have to develop, develop systems around questioning if you want it to flourish uh, yeah. within your company. And I think, um, yeah, that's a great summary. And, you know, when I just go back to your first point, uh, around modeling in the absence of people, people read authenticity very quickly. And so, you know, if a leader says, Hey, everybody, it's going to be really important to do questions. I mean, I want everyone's feedback and so on and so on. But what we're not trying to create is, is a culture where people send questions up to the top and the top just makes all the decisions and sends them all back down because you end up with this huge bottom, you know, to your point around the systemization of it, what you typically end up with is a really upside down pyramid where everyone's almost asking questions like, Oh, my job is to ask questions. And it's everybody else's job to answer them or think about the solutions. And one of the things that I think is, first of all, people need, they, they need that safety. As you said, they need to know, they need to have seen examples and they will hear them from other peers. I noticed that so-and-so you know, raised this really challenging question in that meeting. What happened after that? How did the leader respond? Like it's those informal right. stories that will come back and tell them whether they should feel safe or not in actually challenging. And yeah, one of the and things you know, that I you noticed- You don't have to necessarily act on every question that comes up. But you, mm. you, you would want to make the, the questioner feel that that question was heard. So it could be yes, as simple exactly. as a leader saying, you know, um, somebody raised this interesting question. I'm going to share it with the company. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't necessarily have an answer for that question, um, but it's an interesting question. And it's something I'm going to be thinking about. And I mm. invite everyone else to think about it as well. Just by yeah. doing that. You yeah, have um, celebrated that question and reinforced with the person who asked it that it has value. Mm. Uh, now they'll ask more questions like that. On the other hand, if you just ignore it, uh, if, you, if you ask people for questions and then nothing happens, people will get very jaded about it. And they'll say, well, yeah. I'm not, I, I asked questions, nothing happened, therefore nothing I'm happened, not going to exactly. do it anymore. Yeah. Well, it's like having an employee engagement survey and people giving a whole bunch of feedback and then nothing actually changing. It's like, well, you're only going to get right. that feedback once. If you don't, if you don't turn that into an action learning cycle, nothing's going to happen. Uh, you're not going to get your feedback again. One of the things I noticed, Warren, and you, you said it up front around this 
parallel where you've got an early stage business, it's full of questioning. And then as it gets a bit more mature and things are starting to work, often the questions start to die and we just get more into how. Um, and one of the things that I think particularly that gets lost in, in those organizations is the leader or leaders um, connectivity with customers. And what, what, what tends to happen is as they get more insulated and, and, um, and certain of their strategy and their activities, what they don't notice anymore is that things are changing in the world of the customers, how they're being perceived by their customers, what pains their customers are going through, what other problems they're having that are related to the current problem that they're solving. Like, or they miss all these important tangential information, sometimes they're trends and so on. And so one of the things I think that's often super valuable is ensuring that leaders have a KPI around actually a quality of engagement with customers, which is just to understand what's going on in their world and what's, what their perspective is of themselves and other competitors, what's happening in their market and what their problems are with no expectation of sort of outcome other than to, to understand. And I think that yeah. can be done at any level of the organization, particularly those people that are customer facing. So you've got lots of people looking at, well, how can we do a better job in solving this problem from an internal perspective, but you've got to have that input regularly from what's actually changing outside you and the bigger the organization gets it seems to be the easier it is for that to get lost so i'd encourage people to think about whether that feedback and those questions of um of your customers are actually feeding yeah, all the and, way back into your decision one thing making. that i i mean i i kind of um i i find that people try to use surveys to achieve this end um and, and, and so you know Customers out there are getting swamped with surveys, you know, and and I, I feel like survey questions are great, you know. I'm I'm totally pro survey, but I really think that um, the most effective kind of questioning is human to human, uh, and and it's so uh, it's or it, it can just be um, based on observation. So th those two things, it's like actually asking another human being a question. Or observing them and then asking questions in your own mind. You know, um, I'm observing someone go through the process of doing this, uh, of getting their coffee. You know, I'm, I'm a coffee company and I'm observing someone get their morning coffee. And what are the questions going through my mind as, as that happens? I'm noticing the person does this or that, or why are they doing that? Or is that a good thing? Or could that be mm. um, done better? Or is there, so that kind of, internal questioning in your own head is really important as is yeah. the the external questioning where you would actually ask a customer you know um why are you doing that or how do you like mm -hmm. that process and a lot of that stuff you can't get out of surveys because um, yeah. people just don't engage quite as well with a survey as they do with another human being and sometimes the survey doesn't ask the right questions. Sometimes yeah. the, only, the question can only be asked if you're there watching and observing. And then all of a sudden you say, aha, I see something interesting here. And that creates the question. So I, I encourage I think, yeah. people to make sure they are just out there in the field. Um, and as leaders, be out there within your own company. Um, just get out there and, and either ask questions or uh, if you're not asking questions, be watching, be observing, and then be wondering in your head about what you're seeing, asking those questions. 100%. Uh, well, before we wrap up, uh, Warren, just two comments on that. For those people who have heard that and thought, you know what, actually, I am kind of missing something in there. That's a perfect uh, segue and plug for uh, Nahal Advani, who is a guest that we had on who runs a company called Qualsight, who does exactly what you, you just described. They have real-time video of people, you know, 
using their products. So they work a lot with FMCG companies and so on. So they're getting real-time feedback and they use some AI in the back end to get good quality, qualitative research in real time about what's actually happening in that whole interaction. And I found, I ended up developing a, for anyone who's interested, I developed a, a, a service called Growth Insights and I do exactly what you just said. So if people have got customers that they'd actually like to have somebody independently interview, that's exactly what that service is. It's qualitative research. It's high quality qualitative research that we, so we can gain, gain the insights that should be feeding into the strategy uh, of the business. So if anyone wants to chat about that, you can go to seansteel.com.au and just have a look at the Growth Insights uh, tab. But um, Warren, we, we are out of time, but I just wanted to say a huge thank you to you for your um, time today. How can people get in touch with you or follow along with what you're doing? Where would you direct them to for sort of further information? Yeah, um, basically everything I have is in one place. It's on this uh, site called amorebeautifulquestion.com. So mm-hmm. that was the name of my first book, A More Beautiful Question. Yeah. Uh, and it's just those words put together and that's the name of the site, amorebeautifulquestion.com. And so what you'll find there is... Um, there's information on my books, which every author has, but you know, I, I just decided to go much further and really create a whole world of questioning there. So what you'll find is a lot of articles, a lot of research um, on questioning, um, uh, but fun stuff too. You know, you can take your, your own quiz to your to find out your own inquiry uh, quotient IQ inquiry quotient. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find uh, my list of uh, songs that have questions for a title. You know, this is all, anything question related is there. But there's just a ton of research and information and, and data about, you know, the power of questioning and the connection to innovation. You'll see all those innovation stories on there, you know, and what was the question that started the innovation, uh, that kind of thing. And uh, it's just a good place to just sort of bounce around and, uh, and you know, immerse yourself in the world of questioning. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, uh, Warren Berger, folks. I'm sure you've enjoyed the show today and got a lot of value from that. I don't think you possibly could have if you've really been thinking about how can you potentially shift the dial or if you've just got that internal feeling like maybe you're kind of missing something because you're not asking great quality questions. It's been a great episode for you. Make sure you go to Warren's site and uh, and check all of that out. If you're enjoying what you heard today and you think somebody else might get value of it, please you know share it with somebody else. Share the episode with just one person. Uh, give us a rating on uh, Apple Podcasts. Helps it to get into the hands of more people and our team absolutely love that. Uh, or you can find us on any of the socials at Scale Ups Podcast, um, you know, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and the usuals. Uh, so in closing today, folks, uh, just remember the only thing that can guarantee that you can't scale up uh, or that you won't scale up is actually giving up. So make sure that one of your questions is not, is it time to get off this bus? Uh, you got to stay on that bus and you got to keep adapting and stay flexible in your behavior until you get there. Thank you so much, Warren Berger. Really appreciate that, folks. You've been listening to the Scale Ups Podcast. I'm Sean Steele. Look forward to speaking with you again next week. Thanks again, Warren. Thank you. G'day everyone, just a couple of quick things before you go. If you have questions that you'd love myself or an upcoming guest to tackle about challenges that you're facing in scaling your business, please just jump straight on the website, scaleupspodcast.com. You can record your message straight from your mobile by hitting the button on the right-hand side of the page, or you can just email them the old-fashioned way, questions at scaleupspodcast.com. And just a quick reminder, nothing we spoke about today constitutes financial or business advice. If you are considering making big decisions in your business, seek out a professional who can look at your situation in detail and make sure you're getting sound, personalized advice. Thanks for listening. Look forward to being back in your podcast feed next week.